The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. The context is the Apostle Paul seeking to help the saints at Corinth to grow up, to correct immature attitudes, and serve God and serve each other better. And it's in the same context, verse 31, where Paul says, Do all this to the glory of God. I want to talk about how we help people change. But I don't want to present this in a way that commends us, promotes us, or gives any impression that we are the source and power to change people. And so I have something at the bottom of the slide that I want to stress all through our time together. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And that's illustrated over and over in the text of Scripture. When Paul converted Timothy... When Aquila and Priscilla helped Apollos, when every inspired writer wrote and sent out an epistle, in all such cases in the Bible, where a servant of God helped someone in their relationship with God, the power did not lie in the human servant. But in applying power, God, by His grace, has provided. So we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Every time we talk about our individual effort and responsibility to help others change their lives for the better, this phrase needs emphasis. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. This study is based on the premise we need to use appropriate effort individually to change people. When souls are at risk. Now, there's another point of clarity I need to make in the beginning of our study. In regard to matters of individual choice where there is no sin, that is matters of liberty, we have no cause to try to change everybody into us, into our image. In matters of opinion where there is no issue of salvation, We should keep ourselves out of the lives of others. But when souls are at stake, God has assigned to his people the duty of using appropriate efforts to bring people into a good relationship with God. Here are some passages that say that. We've read one. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You should seek my well-being. This is not about any intrusion into my life, any effort to dictate or control everything about your opinions into my life. This is not about monitoring my life and work while ignoring your own. This is simply the care and love we should have toward each other. That should find expression when you and I are giving evidence of some distance from God. Many other passages 
Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. God's requirement here involves two things, and those two things, when combined, constitute obedience to God and offer help to others. Speaking the truth in love, not with uncontrolled anger, not with any self-righteousness, not just to display your irritation, not just to lodge a complaint, but speaking the truth in love. Romans 10 verse 1, Paul illustrates the care we should have for others in their spiritual welfare. When he said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Specifically toward erring brethren, there is the statement we are familiar with in James 5, 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. So therefore, it is well established that when souls are at stake, God has assigned to his people the duty of using appropriate efforts to bring people to use the word of God to change their lives. I want to emphasize this study concerns when souls are at stake, evidence of sin or disobedience, and the faithful use of the attitudes and responses God has given to us, we can use toward others. My purpose now is to speak to us about those appropriate efforts. How do we change people? First, <clears throat> here are some methods virtually guaranteed to get no good results. These are methods virtually guaranteed to get no good results. And these are methods that do not have God's approval. Using subtle intimidation and manipulation in politics and business and interpersonal relationships, in some marriages, there are efforts to change people through intimidation and manipulation. Books are written on the subject. Some people boast about their skill in their efforts to change people through sheer intimidation and manipulation, threatening, maneuvering people into doing something they resist, using people and events and pressure to get people to do as you desire. Now, does that remind you of anything? Do you know who's been doing this for the longest time? The devil. He will lie. He will promise anything you want. He will use people, events, and pressure and try to manipulate us and move us to destroy ourselves through sin. 2 Corinthians 11.3 teaches, The devil deceived Eve by his craftiness. It does not become us to use the tactics of the devil to change people. Even when there is strong reason to seek the change of your neighbor or your brother, intimidation and manipulation is never justified. Likewise, a critical complaining spirit. 
Do you think you can gripe someone out of sin and into faithful service to the Lord? I'm not asking, do people irritate us? Do people disappoint us? Do people need our attention? I understand all that. People irritate us. People disappoint us. There are people, there are brethren who need our attention. All that is granted. And I know that we are tempted sometimes to complain and gripe. But I raise the question, what spiritual good results from griping? When we become complainers, we help nobody. We slowly destroy our own inner attitude. We do not please the Lord and we actually hurt and discourage those we complain about. We're not giving them the word that they need. We're giving them our irritation. You know the word complain or a form of it is found 20 times in the Bible. Never in a good light. Micah 6 and verse 2, the context is the Lord's complaint against his people. The Lord took appropriate action to resolve his issue with his people. He didn't just complain, he took appropriate action. Acts 6 and verse 1, the context is a complaint that widows were being neglected. The apostles didn't just complain along with them. They acted by the appointment of deacons. In all these instances, there is no good outcome unless there is a good response. God never recommends anywhere in his word that we just gripe and complain to change people. So we need to give up that method. Remember, when you throw mud at someone, you're the only one losing ground. We cannot effectively change people by means of conspiracy. Sometimes brethren will say something like, let's get together and talk about how we can change someone. If that discussion is intended to prayerfully consider how to best teach the word of God, there may be some value in that discussion. Though discussions of the faults of others must be very cautiously pursued. But often... We just want to talk about it. We just want to complain about it. And that can turn into gossip and work out toward no good plan to recover somebody out of sin. Then we cannot change people by force, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, How many people have been converted to believe the truth about abortion because a clinic was bombed. How many were converted to the religious agenda of the terrorist when they carried out their attack on 9-11? Did everybody rush to get into their religion? We cannot change people by force. The call of the gospel is, whosoever will. Whoever desires to come after me, let him come. Mark 8, 34. If our heart is really set on using individual effort to change people, let's be certain our methods are in keeping with God's will. We cannot change people through intimidation and manipulation. 
We cannot change people merely by complaining and griping. Look at the history of griping and see if you can find any good. We cannot effectively change or save people by human methods of conspiracy. We cannot change people by force. If we really care for lost souls, if we are moved to restore erring brethren, let's have the courage to re-examine any long-held attitudes and reactionary methods that may have accomplished nothing. How do we change people? Remember where the power lies. We can attempt to change people by letting God's word guide us in the approach. What is necessary is using the word of God only as sinners and erring brethren take the word of God that we present can there be effective change. Our responsibility is the faithful delivery of God's word, that effort. Just any method or any reaction will not get results. If anything converts people, it will be the word. Our duty is to faithfully deliver the word. So let's talk about that. When we see the need to reach someone who is lost or drifting, our work should be presentation of divine truth. When we observe someone is lost in sin, some brother is erring, don't get mad, get busy and set about the work of faithfully presenting divine truth. Read with them, study with them, pray with them. Yelling at them will not serve your purpose. Gossip and griping are methods not recommended. People cannot be changed or converted without the Word of God. So the Word of God should be what we use. I'm looking at Acts 18, 24 through 28. Acts 18, 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. What did this couple do? In response to this man who needed additional instruction. They didn't just get mad or gripe or gossip. Imagine them going around among other Christians saying, you've heard about Apollos. He just doesn't know all the truth. They didn't do that. They didn't use intimidation 
force, conspiracy. They didn't just talk about him to others. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And there is every reason to believe they did this with sincerity and courtesy and respect. When we observe someone is lost in sin, some brother is erring, don't just get mad. Get busy. Set about the work of faithfully presenting divine truth and then be certain that your presentation of truth is accompanied by consistent good influence. Do you want to make a difference? In the lives of those who are lost, or those who are weak and need attention, along with the presentation of divine truth, be certain that your life, your behavior is in harmony with that message that you've given them. So in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. If I really care about those who are lost, brethren who are unfaithful, I need to be certain that not only am I delivering to them the truth of God's word that has the power to change them, but I'm accompanying all that with consistent influence in my own life. No complaining and disputing. Be sure you are blameless and harmless, that your spirit of humility and love is apparent to all. We strive to be children of God without fault, shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. If you really want to make a difference, be certain there is from your life the consistent application of the message of truth that you're delivering. Third, pay attention to what God has said about methods of admonition and discipline. What many of my brethren have missed is God has given us the tools for the job. The job is changing people. The job is converting people. If the, the job is encouraging someone who is weak, whatever you believe you need to do toward your neighbor or your brother after you determine that you need to do something, consult God's methods. The New Testament is loaded with instructions. I'm going to give you two examples. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. There's nothing here about griping, forcing, conspiring, manipulating. If someone is unruly, warn them. If someone is faint-hearted, comfort them. If someone is weak, uphold them. And when we undertake these duties, what is required of us is, it says here, last phrase, be patient with all. 
If you give up the patient spirit taught in the passage, you're liable to come across with the wrong spirit and your efforts may not yield the results that you pray for. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you want to undertake this duty as specified in Galatians 6 verse 1, first, you must be certain you are qualified. And to be qualified to do this work, to restore the brother overtaken in a trespass, you must be spiritual. And then it says, you must do this work in a spirit of gentleness. We can't just ignore that phrase. If we ignore that, we are guilty before God of not giving to heed to everything that he said about how this ought to work. Whatever you believe you need to do toward your neighbor or your brother, after you determine there is a need, let God tell you how to do it and with what spirit to do it, how to proceed. Then I want to add this. Even when these appropriate methods are applied with good attitude, accompanied by prayer and good influence, reality is... The desired effect may not result in conversion because of the factor of individual human will. Jesus is an example. Jesus used perfect approaches, unflawed methods accompanied by perfect attitude, effective delivery of the truth, and the best possible influence to ever be on the earth. And many who heard him remain right where they were lost in sin. The Apostle Paul preached his heart out. He said to the Ephesians, for example, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He labored. He wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He sacrificed. He freely expressed his love and mercy toward the lost. He taught the truth and he taught it perfectly, yet many who heard the preaching of Paul and knew that his life accompanied that message, rejected the gospel and stayed in sin. That's reality. There is this factor, the exercise of the human will. If there is no good and honest heart, if the will to obey God is absent, never accepted, the person will not change. Your methods may be perfect, your message clear and as written in the word. Your attitude exactly where it ought to be. Good influence, good prayer about it. But they don't accept the word of God. Jesus said to his enemies, You do not have his word abiding in you because 
whom he sent, him you do not believe. The job is effort. To make sure my attitude is sincere, my methods are in keeping with God's will, my approach is the approach governed by divine wisdom. But when I get all that right, I need to know there may be rejection of the truth. And there will always be brethren who do not grow spiritually at the rate we would love to see. How do you change people? If you really care for lost souls, if you really love and want to save your erring brother, how do you change people? Not by intimidation, griping, conspiracy, or force. Speaking the truth in love, exerting a good influence, using the tools and resources God has given. Not only must we be certain the message is correct, but the influence that accompanies the message needs to be in harmony with it. And the attitude and motive speak the truth in love. Always remembering this, we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. The power isn't in us, but in Him who died for us. Perhaps someone in this audience is ready now to make a change away from sin and error into Christ. Near to God, we encourage that as we stand together to sing.